You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. I hope that you'll join me this morning in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be looking at uh, a couple of different passages here in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. We're in a sermon series called Rhythms. Uh, in the first message of the series, we established that God desires to use the normal rhythms of our lives for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. And while we sometimes assume, uh, wrongly assume, that God is waiting for us to do something spectacular or out of the ordinary, uh, and sometimes in His grace and in His sovereignty, He does allow that. Uh, but God really longs to meet with us, use us in the normal, ordinary rhythms of life. We need rhythms of grace. Uh, we've looked at the rhythms of eating and hospitality, and I hope that you've already had the opportunity to maybe uh, lean into that particular rhythm and uh, have found uh, that God can use you in just in the ordinary uh, activity of eating and hospitality. Uh, last week, Jace did a great job of covering the subject of rest and Sabbath. Uh, this is what a nice guy I am. I let him cover rest today. I'm talking about work, okay? Uh, but no. Um, and those two things uh, together are critically important, right? And uh, we're going to hopefully look at that today. Do you remember your first job? Remember your first job? Some of you are like, and some of you are like, yeah, and I lived to tell about it, right? Like, I survived it. Um, I, the first job that I had outside of our home uh, and outside of my family, uh, you mowing the yard or whatever there, uh, for which I received compensation was actually for mowing grass. I mowed the yard of a blind man in our church at that time named Bill Falstadt. And um, uh, it, was, it was a great experience. Uh, I uh, was mystified every time I met with Mr. Falstadt. He was a guy who had over the course of his life, lost his eyesight, and so he continued to repair radios in a shop off of his garage, and I, I just was mystified by that, um, but it was a, an overall a very good experience for me, and since that time, I've worked all sorts of jobs, a wide variety. I even owned and operated uh, my own cleaning business for a time. Uh, I've worked as an administrative assistant. I've worked as a research assistant. I've worked as a dairy farmer. Um, I went from the dairy farm to a radio station where I served as a DJ there. Uh, so I just just wide variety uh, of jobs and things. And like most of you, I've had jobs that I liked more than others. Um, I've had jobs that I absolutely hated, uh, and they confirmed for me I do not want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, right? Like, I, I mean, I generally enjoyed the time uh, that we were on the dairy farm. It was where uh, Christy and I were married when I worked on the dairy farm, newly married and living in a, in a farmhouse there on this, uh, this dairy farm in northwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, it was an overall great experience, but I came away from that with the conclusion that I never want to own a dairy farm, okay? And so uh, a lot of times jobs, God allows us to have those jobs to teach us important life lessons, uh, to mold and to shape us and to, to humble us in some cases. And so, um, and, and regardless of how much you may enjoy your job, I've met very few people who would say, I have always, every day, loved everything about my job. It has not had any challenges. There have never been any days where I really wanted to do something else or anything like that. That's just the nature of work itself. When you have a job in a broken, sinful world, 
you're probably going to end up at some point or another working with some people who are jerks, right? And people that are hard to get along with, people that are hard to work with, and, and all those things. And there are just challenges that are unique to really every job uh, that we all have to deal with uh, from time to time. But work has been a part of my life since the time, and I, I guess I was 12 years old. And so uh, many times we have a wrong view of work. Now, that's why you'll see bumper stickers that say things like, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Right? I mean, only see it as a means uh, to survive in this crazy world. Got to pay the bills, right? So off to work I go. Um, and so a lot of people, they will spend their lives uh, treating work like a curse. Uh, they, they, you know, if it's Monday morning for you, it's like, oh, Monday morning, ugh. You know, and then TGIF, you know, live for the weekend, can't wait to get away from this place, can't wait to, you know, do what I want to do over the weekend and so forth. And so some people treat it like a curse. They spend their life really, in many ways, trying to avoid it as much as possible. Other people treat work like a god. And they spend their life sacrificing everything to it, hoping it brings them complete satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment. And what we really need is a biblical, gospel-driven view of work. Some people wrongly think that the only work that really matters as it relates to Scripture and to God is work done for Him. Those of us who are uh, in vocational ministry, well, that's not the case. Uh, There are days that my work is frustrating, and there are days that I want to do something else. My sister even sent me a little picture of a t-shirt she said that I need to get. It says, I really love God, but sometimes his children tick me off, or something like that. (laughs) We pastors sometimes jokingly say, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people, right? And so, but yet we know ministry is people. Uh, And so it it brings with it its own frustrations. And so don't you think for a moment uh, that we don't have challenges much like you might have in your workplace. Uh, I am grateful, I want to say, for the team that God has entrusted to us here at First Baptist Church. Uh, We generally enjoy one another's company and enjoy serving together and all those things, but uh, we do have our challenges. And so the question this morning is, why do you work? And why do you work if you do still work? And, and I want to say this very clearly from the beginning. We're not just talking about uh, work that involves pay, okay? I know some of you are in a season of life right now where you're retired and you're grateful, you're thankful that you don't have to get up every Monday morning at 6 a.m. or whatever to get to uh, your job, but you still work. In fact, uh, sometimes we, we miss this, uh, but a lot of the stuff that is done around this church is actually done by people who are technically retired. The grass here is typically mowed by someone who is retired. Uh, there were three guys who were retired who were changing a doorknob last week. Uh, and so uh, there is still work to be done. You can certainly still be productive. And, and, and I realize you, you may be even be in a phase of life where you feel like you're less productive uh, than, than ever. Uh, that's just a part of life. That's part of growing old. That's part of aging. And so while you may not be able to do uh, the physical work that you once did, there are things that you can do to be productive. Um, you can certainly uh, give yourself to, to praying and maybe encouraging others. It may be a simple phone call or a little uh, card, letter written, something like that. There's a lot of different ways that you can remain productive even in your uh, retirement years. And at the same time, I think it's okay to uh, enjoy the fruit of your labor. If God has enabled you to work a job that also enabled you to set aside some resources so that you can enjoy that season of life, then that's great. Thank God for that. 
uh, and, and I think that's okay. Uh, but I don't believe uh, that we find anywhere in Scripture where we're all to just check out. Okay? We're to cease being productive in any way, shape, or form. Uh, some of you will, will start putting in some work uh, here in the next couple of weeks because it's time to plant, right? Time to plant your garden, time to plant your strawberry, all those kinds of things. So uh, there are a lot of different ways that you can remain productive. But why do you work? What is the significance of your work? If the primary purpose of your work, if the main focus of the work that you do is simply achievement, then work for you, in many cases, can become uh, just making a name for yourself. It's climbing the corporate ladder. It's getting to this place. It's getting to this spot. It's, it's reaching this level or whatever. And it can quickly become a story of obscurity to glory for you. And it can become a place where you really are focused most, uh, most of the time on yourself. What do I have to do? And if that's your focus, then many times what you'll find is that you will use people to get things. Or you will use people to get positions. So that's an unhealthy place to be. If the primary purpose of your work is accumulation, just to get more stuff, to get a bigger house, to get a better car, to get all those kinds of things, that means then you know, a means to comfort, then your story pretty much becomes poverty to privilege, maybe. Uh, i, I got to get to this place, and if I finally get to that place and I get that thing or whatever the case may be, then I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy. And, and it, it doesn't work because you, you listen to guys like Tom Brady, I mean, most people would argue greatest quarterback of all time, recently retired, right? And there was a point in his career after he'd won multiple Super Bowls, he's married to a supermodel, he's got, got, there's got to be more than this. He's got to be more than this. But by worldly standards, most people would say he's made it. He's made it to the top. But he realized once he got to the top that it wasn't everything it was cracked up to be. And so you've got to ask yourself, what is the primary purpose of my work? If the purpose of your work is simply making the world a better place, and that's, that's not a bad thought, certainly, uh, then work for you can become, if you're not careful, just a journey from dystopia to utopia. Uh, and so we obviously all want to make a difference. But there are a lot of different ways that we can lose sight of uh, the God-given purpose and gift of work itself. It is not a, it's not a bad thing. Here's the big truth. Work is a gift from God to be stewarded for God's glory and human flourishing. Work is a gift from God to be stewarded for God's glory and human flourishing. So much like the rest and the Sabbath that Jace preached about last week and how it is a gift from God, uh, work falls into that same kind of category. So what I want us to do today is we are unpacking some of these themes uh, these, uh, th- th- these uh, rhythms of grace. I want us to look at a theology of work today. And, and to do that many times, we go back to the earliest pages of Scripture because you want to go back to the first mention. It's the first mention principle uh, in hermeneutics. And what does God have to say about it uh, as it relates to uh, the creative order and, and all of those things? So let's give our attention to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And listen to this language. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. 
the earth. So you'll notice here that Genesis gives us two pictures of the creation account. And here notice that God makes man in his image. We are image bearers, we say. And and notice the authority and the command, fruitfulness, multiplication, filling the earth, subduing it. Notice that language. But then I want us to move to Genesis chapter 2, and I want us to notice verses 5 through 9. And I want us to notice here that there's some things missing. It says in verse number 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land... And no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And notice this, and there was no man to work the ground. There was no worker. There was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made man uh, made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we see there in chapter 2 that there are some things missing. There's no bush of the field at that point. There is no small plant. There's no rain. Uh, Had not been any rain yet. And no worker, no man to work the ground. So what does God do? Well, he creates a worker and puts him here in the midst of this incredible, bountiful place. And if you continue to read there in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 10 through 14, you will find it describes in some detail the environment in which God placed them. It was an environment designed for human flourishing and an environment for them to subdue and to cultivate. It had rivers and minerals and so forth and all these things. But then in chapter 2 verse 15... It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. So I want us to, to, to unpack this a little bit and, and look at this theology of work. I want you to notice, first of all, that work is a fundamental part of the human experience. It's a fundamental part of the human experience. And we see uh, throughout Scripture references to work and the workplace relationships and, and those sorts of things. We see that in both the Old and New Testaments. And so we see it as a fundamental part of the human experience. Even the Apostle Paul, uh, while he certainly ministered, he was also what a tent maker. And so he worked. And many times it will, when it references a particular individual, it will tell us what they did as, as a vocation uh, in some cases. So man is made, again, in the image of God. This brings a a certain dignity to what it means to be human. So how are we like God? Well, morally, I want you to think about this. We have a conscience. We are morally accountable before God. Spiritually, we have more than a body. We have a, a spirit. We can pray and we can have a relationship with God. Mentally, we can reason and we can think relationally. Our, our likeness to God enables us to have relationship with God and with others, to live in community and in fellowship. Now, that does not mean that we are like God in every single way, in the sense that we are not little gods. Okay, We are not omnipresent, not omniscient, not omnipotent. Okay, You have a teenager in your home right now that thinks they are omniscient. Okay, And, and you can probably think back to a time in your life when you kind of thought you were, that you kind of knew it all, right? But that, that, that's, not, that's not us. 
Okay, so the ways in which we are like God enable us to represent God and to steward his creation. That is why we're here on the earth. So here's the thing. We are image bearers of God, and God is a worker. God is a worker. So, so if your image of God, your, your picture of God, if, you, if I was to just ask you right now to close your eyes and just in your mind's eye, picture God. If your picture of God is just some grandfatherly type with a long white beard, just kind of kicking back in a lawn chair, sipping on iced tea while people just, you know, fan him and all that, that, that that's really not a biblical view of God. God is a, a worker. Scripture tells us here in Genesis chapter 2, once again, if you look back at, at verse number 2, it says on the seventh day, and Jason mentioned this last week, God, what? He finished his work that he had done. And we see that, that same language pattern repeated, which is critically important as you study Scripture. When you see uh, things repeated, you should give attention to it. Okay, it says that he, he finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done in creation. He created in six days. He's a creator. And so uh, you're made in God's image, and you were made to work. You're made to work. We see from the very beginning that man had a purpose, a task, a job to work and keep the garden. Work is given to us by God. Now, where did the work come from? It came from God. God created the earth, the place to live. We need to cultivate it. He placed man. He, he gave man the task. Work comes from God as a gift. Now you've got to remember at this point in the, in the narrative, in, in the creation story, we would say that there's no sin. Okay? The fall of man doesn't happen until Genesis chapter 3. And at this point, there, there is no sin. So there is no effect of sin. So what we see here is the ideal we actually see here God's design. And a lot of people struggle to see that. I even had someone here uh, some time ago corner me after a morning message, and it really wasn't on this entire subject, but trying to convince me that work itself was part of the curse. Uh, I contended from Scripture that that's not the case. Work is not a curse, okay? Now, certainly we're going to see that work was impacted by the curse, but I want you to think about this. If, and I just did a little bit of math. Uh, in, and I kind of took my own life, okay, for example. So if you work for 43 years, you work for 43 years at 40 hours a week, just say on average, for 50 weeks a year, take a couple of weeks off for vacation, that's 86,000 hours or 3,583 24-hour days. That's a lot. And a lot of people... Some of you included work more than that. Uh, I, I can't recall very many weeks where my work week was just 40 hours, okay? And I don't say that as a point of pride. It's just reality, okay? And again, I recognize as we look at this subject that some, some of you, you have jobs that are far more demanding of your time and, and a lot of things than, than other people's. And so that's not all lost on me, okay? I want you to see, though, this theology of work. And so if that's the case, if we spend much of our lives working, don't you want to have some joy in that? I mean, I know I do. And that's not to say that Every aspect of every job is just going to be immensely fun, and it's going to be an amazing experience and all that kind of stuff. Again, there are days in ministry where I would be like, you know what, I, I would kind of go back and milk dairy cows. I really would. 
Uh, they didn't tend to talk back, you know what I mean? So, so it, it just, we, we all experience frustration. And again, we're going to see that that is actually a part of the fall, the frustration related to work. And so a key is receiving work as a gift and not a curse. Recognize that it comes from God and is for your good and for the good of others. It is a stewardship. It's a stewardship. Number two, I want us to notice this morning that work is designed for human flourishing. It's designed for human flourishing. Uh, notice God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. To fill the earth, to subdue it. God also sets man in the garden to work it, to keep it. This carries the idea of cultivating it, tending to it, maximizing its potential, getting the most out of it. And who does that ultimately benefit? Well, it benefits humanity. Benefits humanity, subduing the earth. And you think, well, I, I'm not sure I'm connecting the dots here to the, 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 the first humans in the Garden of Eden to what I do today. Well, let's just look at some, some simple examples. If you work in the, the medical field or in health and wellness and, and all those sorts of things, it may be a little easier for you to see that, that you can make a difference. You can make someone's life better. You can help them uh, see their health restored or enjoy a healthier lifestyle or whatever the case may be. If you are in education, then uh, you are busy in the cultivating of, of the mind and seeing your students hopefully mature and grow in knowledge in a particular field or area. And uh, If you're in business, then you're busy creating everything from jobs and infrastructure to economic advancement and all those things. If, if your main tasks are in the home, which by the way is very much work, then you're bringing organization and order to multiple areas and you're educating and nurturing and discipling uh, your children in most cases. And all of these are ways to subdue and to, to operate in proper dominion over creation. It's part of God's design. Ultimately, productive work is about subduing and cultivating the world that God has placed us in. It's for the good of humanity. Our work ultimately is good for those around us. And, and I would say that there was a period of time when I was working on the dairy farm that I had difficulty seeing the significance of it outside of providing uh, income for us to live. Until one day it dawned on me while I'm going through the morning chores at like four something in the morning, at some point this milk is going to end up in a jug on someone's table, and a little boy or little girl is going to come in, and they're going to pour that milk over their lucky charms. I'm like, I kind of get to be a part of that. That's pretty cool, right? You know, it's like, or the better thought was, this is going to end up in someone's ice cream. Like, yeah, glory, I get to be a part of that. So I, I realize some jobs make it a little more difficult for you to see the significance and the, the impact that you were making. And even I know some of you right now, this is a hard time to be in education. I get it. I was a teacher at one time. I taught speech and drama and communications. And there were days I would think, man, I, I might as well just be talking to a brick wall. It is going in one ear and out the other. I am not making a difference. So I get we, we all struggle with those kind of things. But ultimately, productive work is about subduing and cultivating the world in which God has placed us. And, and we've seen this displayed over the past couple of years, particularly as we've wrestled with this whole concept of essential workers. i got to be honest with you, there was a time early in the pandemic, we had just been online only for about three months there back in the spring of 2020 when everything happened, you know, and... And, and there was a lot of talk about that, like, 
you know, and, and then I, I heard, I got the word that I, as a pastor, was viewed as an essential worker. I thought, man, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Like, there was about 10 of us that would, would come down here every Sunday morning and do the live stream and everything, and we, we were viewed as essential workers, right? And so that maybe led some others to think, well, maybe I'm not essential. No, it, all work has significance. It's, it's important in the sense that it's God's uh, creative order and the way that he has designed things uh, to, to work. And so uh, that's so important, uh, whether it's you're a medical professional or you're working in a grocery store or you load and drive trucks or you're a farmer or you're a first responder or whatever the case may be. Uh, you can make an eternal difference and impact. And you should view your task, the, the job that God has given you, as a place uh, for relationship building, uh, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and I would just say here, and we're going to address some of these things in a few moments, but be careful that you are not perceived in the workplace as the, 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 the Christian who is a jerk, who's like trying to corner people at the water fountain and beat them over the head with the Bible and stuff like that, you know? I, I mean, but God intends for us to use the relationships that we have for the sake of the kingdom. That's what this whole series is about, the rhythms of life. And so there was a guy in one of our churches when I was pastoring in South Texas. Um, I, he reached out to me early in our time there, and he said, hey, I'd like to grab lunch one day. And so we go to this great Mexican food place, and we're eating lunch. And he actually owned a business right across the street. And so I asked him, his name is Jody. I said, Jody, what kind of work do you do? And he goes, I've got this alternator and starter shop right across the street here. I rebuild alternators and starters. And he goes, but really... It's my mission's outpost. And that had my attention. He said, I've got this relationship with this halfway house here in, uh, in Jim Wells County. And so I get some of these guys who are transitioning back into, into life after serving time or whatever. And so I employ them at my alternator and starter shop that he owned and operated. And he goes, a lot of times it provides me opportunities to start gospel conversations. And so over the next several years, while I was Jody's pastor in Alice, Texas, he would sometimes call me and go, Pastor, I got one ready for you. <laughs> I get to go down and lead him to Christ. People would go, rebuilding alternators and starters? I mean, how is that really making a difference? You can find ways, but you've got to have the right focus, the right perspective. The original purpose of human work was the advancement of human flourishing to the glory of God. Our work in whatever sphere we operate, whether it's in the home or the church or the workplace, is to show off the goodness and magnificence of God's character as His image bearers. We, we, we do that as we cultivate the garden, so to speak, that we've been entrusted with for the flourishing of the humans around us to the praise of God's glory. In other words, work is first and foremost worship. It's worship. We hosted an event here a few years ago called Work as Worship. And I wonder, Christ follower, do you view your work as worship? How about start every work day with this thought? How can I today make much of Jesus in my workplace? How can I do that? And at the end of each work day, hey, how did I reflect God's glory today in what I did? in my conversations that I had, and the way that I responded to challenging situations, and the way that I interacted with my, my fellow workers, and all of those things. Work is worship. But number three, I want us to see this. Work has been impacted by the fall. Things did not go well for the first humans in the garden. 
Ultimately, they chose to disobey God. They sinned, and the consequences were grave and enormous. And we find this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. You're likely familiar with this text. It's from this section of Scripture that we sometimes wrongly uh, assume that work is part of the curse. It says in verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. So remember, work is not the curse. Work is a gift. But what does the text show us here? Work now comes with frustration and with pain. I would suppose that prior to this, obviously, there were no thorns and thistles or perhaps even weeds in the garden, right? Think about that. Now, work goes from being fulfilling to being, in some levels, fulfilling and frustrating. And frustrating. You will not find ultimate fulfillment, ultimate satisfaction in any kind of a job. And it's because of the fall. When we find, what we find here is that these two aspects of, of work in a fallen world, that it's futile and it's toilsome, run smack up against the assumptions of the world in which we live. Uh, there's a resource that I would like to recommend to you. It's a book written by Tim Keller. It's probably 10 years old now. Uh, but it speaks to this very thing, every good endeavor. And the subtitle of this book is Connecting Your Work to God's Work. Great, great book. I would encourage you to pick it up. But as Tim Keller observes, our generation insists that work be fulfilling and fruitful, that it fully fit our talents and our dreams, and, and that it do something amazing for the world. That sounds great, but the problem is that's not the world in which we live. That's not the world in which we live. But the crisis in the story is not so much about the change in our work conditions, that we now sweat and toil and ugh, labor and grow and all those things. It's not just that. It's about a change in us, the workers. In a fallen world, fallen workers no longer use their work to worship God, but to worship idols instead. The fall brought problems to work and to our relationship with it. And so we tend to do one of two things. We tend to either idolize work or avoid work. Now, it's fairly easy for us to, to connect the dots to work and, and idolatry. For some, the sweat of the face, the, the pain and the work gives them meaning, purpose, to the point that they derive their value or they're striving to derive their value from their work. Let's just be honest, men. We, we are especially bad at this. You get a few men in a room who don't know each other, and what's one of the first things we ask each other? What kind of work do you do? What kind of work do you do? That's because we tend to find our identity in the work that we do. This is not just for those outside of vocational ministry, I can assure you. It was a few years ago that Christy and I went to a retreat for pastors and their spouses, and we're on this ranch in Mount Vernon, and we're sitting at one of these sessions around a table with six or seven other couples, and, and I said something that I thought was pretty amazing in the moment. I said, well, being a pastor is not just what I do, it's who I am. 
Doesn't that sound super spiritual? It's not just what I do, it's who I am. And the facilitator in that retreat looked at me and said, well, who will you be when you can't do that anymore? Like, that wasn't such a brilliant statement after all. See, that's the tendency. When we idolize work, so we find our identity in that. So easy to look to accomplishment and sweating and overcoming the pain and, as we say, you know, bringing home the, the bacon and, and those kinds of things that we find, we want to find validation in God's eyes. So they make work into an idol. Make work into an idol. Just like any other false god. We sacrifice to it. We worship it. They make it the center of our lives. It's everything. We'll neglect those that we should be giving the most attention to. Because work. Work. The other extreme is to avoid it. Some people hate the pain and the sweat, so to speak, and so they will do everything they can to avoid it. They both have the same root problem, and that's sin. The fall manifests itself in different ways, depending upon the person and the season and all that. You, you can even struggle with both of these things. I, I can remember, early in my 20s, I guess, um, I uh, was given responsibility in a warehouse setting where I was supervising uh, several guys who were much older than me. And in some cases had far more experience than I had. And they didn't, they didn't care for that a whole lot, uh, naturally. And so, um, but what I discovered, and I eventually had to have a conversation with one guy in particular, and I said this, I said, look, if you would spend as much time and energy working as you do trying to get out of work, you'd get a lot more done. And, and if you've been in the workforce any time at all, you know what I'm talking about. There are people like this all over the place. They will spend more time trying to get out of work than they actually spend working. They try to avoid it, get out of it, do everything they can. The Bible teaches that the gospel is the only way for us to be rescued from the death that our sin brings. And so if you are looking to work or, or anything even like that, trust me, the gospel doesn't change the conditions of your work. It changes the condition of your heart, the condition of your heart. In fact, the only way to be reconciled to God is to trust not your work, but Jesus' work. Jesus came to do the work that we can't do. He came to live a sinless life and did so as a son in a home with a family and as a carpenter and then as a traveling preacher. And ultimately, though, he came to what? To save. To save. That was the mission, the work that he was sent to accomplish. And so whereas Adam, representing all mankind uh, in the garden, failed to properly keep the garden... He failed by sinning. Jesus did not fail in his work. John 17, 4, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. On the cross, Jesus cried out, what? It is finished. What's finished? What's finished? The work. Only when we trust in Jesus' finished work of a sinless life and his death and his resurrection can we be reconciled to God and begin to pursue stewarding our work the way that God intends. And if you are a Christ follower this morning, you should be asking right now this important question, how can I steward the rhythm of my work for God's glory? How can I do that? Let me give you some very practical things as we finish up this morning. Number one, work from your identity, not for your identity. 
Work from your identity, not for your identity. This is about perspective. It's the key to fighting work as an idol. God made man in his image, gave him responsibility and work, but he did not say to man, if you do this, then you can be my image bearer. That's not what he said. Identity came first. Our identity is something that is received. It is not something that is achieved. It's not something that's achieved. So in Christ, our identity now is that of a child of God. We are image bearers. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And the core of who I am comes from my identity in Christ. I am loved by God. I am chosen. I am His. I work from that truth. We don't need to work to make us matter in God's eyes. What my work says about me is not the ultimate. What God says about me is the ultimate. So I work from my identity, not for my identity. Here's the second thing. Work hard and rest well. Work hard and rest well. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Being a hard worker is not the same as idolizing your work. Work hard. It's my firm belief that followers of Jesus Christ should be the best employees, the best workers. They should be there on time. They should be punctual. They should work with a spirit of excellence and do your work well. Don't be that person in the workplace that people are like, oh, that guy, here he comes again. What? No. Use it as God opens doors of opportunity for the sake of the gospel, but also be aware of when that's appropriate and when it's not. Be the best employees. Pour your head and your hands and your heart into your work. That's good. It's, it's commanded, in fact. It's part of stewarding work well. Give it your all. Then rest, as Jace told us last week. Work, and then rest. Work, and then rest. And when it's time to work, work hard. Give it your best. Give it your all. And then rest. They're both a gift, a gift from God. Be used for his glory. That's number three. Work for God's glory. Work for God's glory. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of God's gifts are meant to be used for God's glory. So our entire lives are meant to make much of him. Do your job well. It reflects on Christ. Do your job with integrity and good ethics. It reflects on Christ. Do all that you do for His glory. For His glory. Number four, work to bless others. Remember, our work, the language here, subduing and cultivating, it's it's good for humanity. So lean into that. Our work shouldn't just be about us. Work is meant to be a generous endeavor. And so you, you bless through serving. You, your work allows you to serve the common good. You bless through providing. Work allows you to provide for your own family, to even provide perhaps for the needs of others as God allows you. Bless through giving. It allows you to give. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Work to bless others. Number five, work for your enjoyment. 
Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13 says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Work's a gift. It's meant to be enjoyed. And even if you're in a season of life right now where you don't like what you do, okay, I get that. You can take joy in blessing others and working for God's glory. If you have a job that you absolutely love right now, then thank God for that. Rejoice. It's a gift. Steward it well. Steward it well. These principles can help us all become better stewards of the gift of work. It's a gift to be stewarded. It's not a God to be worshipped. It's not a curse to be avoided. Steward it well. God's story of work is really a story in four acts. If we were to, to back away from Scripture itself and take a look at the, the meta-narrative, we call it. We would use four words to describe that. We, we call it the story, so to speak. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. God's story of work is the key to understanding our own work. And even more importantly, the story of understanding our lives. So there's no biblical picture of life without work. This, this may burst some of your bubbles. So if you're sitting there this morning thinking, man, I'm just longing for, for heaven so that I can finally just put my feet up and just chill. You ever heard people say that they think heaven's going to be boring because what they envision is us all sitting on clouds strumming harps all day? I don't know where they get that from. It's not in Scripture, I can tell you that. Okay, so what is that going to look like? There's no biblical picture of life without work. In fact, there's an old song that says, We'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes, we'll work till Jesus comes, then we'll be gathered home. Eh. What does Scripture say? It's a picture of freedom, of abundance, Work that's satisfying and fruitful. That's, that's what work is going to be in the new heavens and the new earth, of which Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was but a dim picture, by the way. A glorious freedom in the perfect rest of God to once again use our gifts and our talents and our creativity and our energy to tend the garden, so to speak, to, to grow the city, to know the satisfaction of work well done. And when that happens... Not only will work have been restored to its proper context, but work will once again and forevermore be engaged for its proper end, and that is the glory of God. That's the vision of Isaiah chapter 65. Listen to this. Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. It goes on later to say, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy what the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. Here's the end of the story of work. An end that is really a new beginning. 
For all of eternity, our work, our creativity, our industry, our labor will bring forth splendor, but that splendor will not be spent on ourselves. No, it will not be used to magnify our name. The splendor of our work will be to the glory of God. And if we don't understand the theology of work, then our work will be in vain. We'll assume that work is an end in itself. We'll assume that it's an evil to be minimized or it's a God to be worshipped. But when we understand the story of work, we understand that the end of work is God himself. That will change our work now, and it will energize our work forever. Forever. So if we could for just a moment bow our heads, close our eyes. This is a time of reflection for us. This is a time of decision for us. I recognize this morning, depending upon the season of life in which you find yourself, this message may have fallen very differently for you. There may be some here who would say, Pastor, I can identify with the extreme of idolizing my work. I've been striving and trying and doing all the things, all the things that are so common in this broken, sinful world. Climbing the ladder, trying to get to the top. If I'm completely honest this morning, I'd have to say I've idolized my work. I've neglected things that are really much more important. I've sacrificed things that are much more important for the idol of work. There may be some here today who would say, Pastor, I, I've, I viewed it more as a curse. Most work days, I go to work with a, a bad attitude. I don't see it from an eternal perspective. The only value I find in it is that it provides a paycheck and enables me to pay my bills. But that's it. It's time for those who claim to be followers of Christ to see work as worship. To see work as worship. With all of its challenges, all of its difficulties, with all of its frustrations, all of those things. Our work is to be worshipped. So I challenge you each day that you head off to work, whatever your work may be, even if it's in a season of retirement, ask yourself, how can I glorify God in this? How can I use this place of employment as a missions outpost for the glory of God? And at the end of every day, before you lay your head on your pillow, ask yourself, how did I magnify my Lord and Savior in my work? If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm uncertain about my relationship with God even. So maybe you're one of those who's trying to work your way into a relationship with God. And you need to hear today very clearly that God's word says, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The work is done. It's finished. And if you can't identify a time in your life where you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. 
to take that step of faith. Oh Lord, help us to glorify you through the gift of work. In those days that it's incredibly frustrating and difficult and we feel that it's pointless, we're not making a difference, Lord, help us to see it the way that you do. Help us to use the rhythm of work for your glory and for human flourishing. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.